I want to return to Derech Hashem. And we are learning basically uh, the components of the Bria, which means when the Bansham created creation, uh, what are the components, in other words, what are the different types of beings that he created, which really is very important to know because clearly all of them have to conform to the agenda of the Rabbanu Shalom. Each one has its specific part, uh, has its specific uh, function, purpose, in order to accomplish what's called the tikkun of the entire creation. And you know what tikkun is? Tikkun is basically where the Rabbanu Shalom returns to the physical world, actually, and ultimately everybody in the physical world is transported, or rather, everybody in the physical world, the Jews, uh, purify the entire physical universe. And what happens is the universe is now retransformed into a spiritual universe. And that fundamentally or ultimately becomes Ilum Habo. So we know that. Uh, so what the Banshma has done in order to allow this to occur is that he has created specific components in the Bria, some physical, some spiritual, and all of them obviously contribute to all of this. <coughs> you know, in a certain way, as a summary, uh, just to give you some type of a scope or a framework, uh, it seems that there are basically several, or maybe even seven, different types of being uh, being classes. Uh, the first one to go from uh, well, the first one let's say is what's called physical entities, physical beings, uh, and that of course is all the inorganic things, and even organic or living things, uh, animals, birds, insects, and so on. All of these creatures are completely physical. They have absolutely no spiritual component. Although what is interesting, and he, he's going to speak about the Ramchal, is that they do have a component called a, uh, a uh, nefesh. Loosely translated, that would be a soul. <coughs> but that soul of these beings is not a spiritual soul. It is a physical soul. It's what you would call uh, the life force. And the Ramchal says that this force is present in every living thing, and that's what enables anything to live, <coughs> whatever life is. Uh, and this force, called the life force, is called the nefesh. <coughs> it's also called the nefesh Bahamas, which is the animal soul. And that, um, that nefesh, it's not spiritual, allows any physical entity to, to uh, live. Uh, and therefore, every, uh, every living things, uh, you know, insects, bacteria, viruses, well, the question is the virus a living being? I don't think they've solved the problem yet. But, because um, really the question is, what is the definition of life? But in any case, <coughs> Um, everything, every, everything that lives certainly has that force. And the interesting thing about that is that force is physical. It is not spiritual in any sense of the word. That's important to know. <clears throat> the second thing is that Ramchal says that that force resides in the blood. That's where it stays. It resides <coughs> in the blood. And, um, and that's probably where it can be found. Um, so, so that's where it's found. Dam ha nefesh, yeah. That's what it refers. Yes. No. Correct. A nefesh refers to that physical life force that enables any creature or anything that lives to exist in a living form. It's what gives life to the organism. This force. So uh, this is important, that it's all physical, it's in the blood. Also what's very important is that there are variations of this force. Obviously a, uh, a bug, an ant, which has this nefesh, the nefesh of a, an ant, let's say, is very different than the nefesh of an animal, a tiger, 
or any of the animals. And the nefesh of an animal is substantially different, lower, than, of course, a uh, human, and so on. So uh, the, the life force not only gives life uh, to the organism uh, but, or the entity, but what it also does is provides the faculties of that organism, you see. Uh, so obviously the greater the life force, the greater will be the faculties, attributes uh, of the, of the uh, organism that has it, you see. So obviously when a person dies, he loses that life force. And that's what keeps him alive. Now, so this is the first concept. Uh, all physical, the first component that God created is all the physical beings that have this life force. And man is included. But what's important to remember is that that's what makes you live, and that is a purely physical entity. However, it's important to know that that entity is very subtle, extremely subtle, which would say that probably you have, it probably, at some point probably will be discovered that a person can, can detect it if it's physical. I don't think it's ever been detectable, but it can be detected, you see. And um, um, probably ultimately someday, it will be detectable. Because if it's physical, that means it can be detected. In any case, so that's the first thing that the Bonsham created. The second thing that he created, uh, after that physical being, uh, uh, well, let's look at it this way. There are components. The first being would be the Rabbana Shalom. Uh, there would be God, the Rabbana Shalom, as the first major component of the Bria. Although our God, obviously not a component, he's the one that brings everything to creation. But certainly if we look at the range or the classes of beings, let's call God a class of being, which is obviously uh, not only infinitely different than us, the class of being, if you want to call that God, uh, of course, is incomprehensible. In fact, God is not a being in that sense of the word. I once explained all of this in Shurim about God quite a while ago. But in any case, a long time ago, actually. Uh, but let's say God is one part of the Bria, it's certainly in the sense that we relate to God. The second part of, of the Bria is that he, eman he emanates we have eminent, we have uh, emanations from him, and these are called spheres. These are called uh, spheres, which are really forces that that uh, that God created. That's really what they are, and they are forces. They can actually create realities, and they are the they are the greatest of all spirituality. Uh, what they are, and, and so on is absolutely unknown, but they create realities. And realities, not only create, but realities really consist of these forces, spheres, uh, and uh, the manifestation of these forces is reality in many ways. Um, obviously these things are completely unknown uh, in terms of uh, what they are and so on. But these spheres, and there are 10 of them in number, and each one of these subdivides further, and then that subdivides, and so on. Uh, these forces really are, in many ways, uh, like I say, incomprehensible, yet they are the, let's call them the second component of the Bria, of creation. Uh, the third is that they're called malochim, angels. What an angel is basically a being that serves as an agent that carries out the will of God. Uh, in many ways, it's like a king that has an entire kingdom of servants uh, and ministers and people who serve him, uh, who do his bidding. So a malach is fundamentally a being that, that, that carries out the agenda, the will of God, the decrees of God. That's really what a malach is, you know. <coughs> Uh, of course, God doesn't need malochim. He doesn't need anything, really. He could have directly interfaced with the creation, but he didn't. 
he decided to create an entire class of uh, agents that are completely spiritual. They are not physical at all. They have their own laws of operation. They are bound within their own limitations. They have properties, attributes, and so on. And like I said, the purpose of these beings, malachim, angels, is that they do the will of God. They carry out his decrees. So these are who the malachim really are. Yeah. Because they are beings that emanate from the spheres. The spheres is, the best way to look at it is that the spheres are completely, in many ways, attached to the Rebbeinu Although they're not God, but they are, they are, you know, it's like, the best thing I can give is like, there's a person that has arms. You know, is the person the arms? In a certain sense, yes. Right? The arms are part of the person, but the arms are a distinct aspect of an individual. So in terms of creation, the spheres are like God's arms. In fact, that's why we have ten fingers, because they are ten forces. And we, in many ways, are a model of the Bria. So we have ten forces and ten fingers, and we do everything with those ten fingers. That's the concept of hand, right? So the fingers of God, so to speak, are these ten spheres, you see. Um, and uh, in a certain sense, there are two sets of fingers, if you think about that. There's the ten fingers that we have, then there's the ten toes. They're also fingers, you know. We don't use them much, except it, it helps us stand. I mean, when you look at monkeys and apes and all that, they're, they're always using their toes. Their toes is almost like fingers, in some, you know. Uh, but there are really two sets of spheres, right? There are really two sets of spheres. Each one has ten, so the two sets. The first ten is really the toes. And uh, in other words, there's a spheres which emanate from God, you see, and they give existence its maintenance. They create everything. They cannot be changed. They merely supply the ability of, uh, of existence to continue. They never stop, and they are not in any way changed. You see, they supply the fact of existence to everything. And just like the toes, toes don't do anything, but they enable us to stand. You see, you can't do anything with the toes, unless you're a monkey, but uh, you know, hopefully, uh, we're not monkeys. Maybe if he has Darwin, I think he'd come out with a different answer. Uh, and so on, you know? What? Tell me what these are called. Igulam, yeah. They're called Igulam. They're called Igulam, yeah, round. Spheroes the Igulam, that's what they're called. There are the spheres of Igulam, and they are ten in number. But like I said, they create the fact of existence and the continuity of existence. And they are represented in terms of us because we are a model of the whole creation. Uh, and those basically are our toes. Now, the second sphere, uh, set of spheres is called spheres de Yosha. They are called straight line and they can be altered. They can be changed. They can be magnified, diminished, and so on. And in fact, when we t they are responsible not for the fact of existence, but for the quality of existence. What is in existence? You see, and they are what's called alterable, and we can alter those spheres. We can get them to shine more, illuminate more, illuminate less, right? By our acts, our deeds, in our machshava, thinking, speaking, right? And acting or doing. So based on the acts of the Jews, and the Jew really is the only one that can do this. That's what makes him, that's what makes him unique is that he has the ability to alter the spheres to Yosha by his acts. Whether it be the act, wait, whether it be the act be thinking, speaking, or doing, the Jew can alter the illumination of those spheres to Yosha by his acts. And ultimately what the Jew wants to do is to get those spheres to Yosha, that second set, right, to uh, illuminate completely. And then the whole reality becomes different. You see, the whole quality or the status of reality becomes different. And the Jew is really the only type of being who can alter the illumination of those spheres. If a non-Jew wants to do that, then he must become Jewish. You see. Uh, and as long as a person is not Jewish, 
He can alter his own status, but he can never influence or affect the spheres, which are the cause of everything. Very important idea. <coughs> so we have a certain feeling of what uh, the, uh, these ultimate emanations are, and they, like I say, are the arms of God, so to, sp uh, so to speak, and they are the closest thing that we can associate with the divine, with God himself, you see. Everything else after that is apart from God, if you want to use that language, okay, and the rest of the components which I will describe. So this tells you a very important idea. Yes? Two things is, first of all, the illumination itself changes, or do we like lift and, and close a, a shade in front of you? We lift and close a shade. Yeah. <coughs> Number two is... That's true of almost anything, actually. Just to recap, I know you talked about this before, yeah. but the, these are the, the closest we can come to relating to Hashem, because after this is Ein Sof? Yes, that's right. Which I spoke about a long time ago. Yeah, it's in the original Shuraman, Who is God? Yeah. It goes back, what, four or five years? It's a long time. But I gave a lot of Shuraman there. I ain't gonna have five, ten of them. You know, I really went through, I think, uh, really thoroughly on that year. Uh, but uh, it's archived, right? I'm sure it's accessible. Yeah, okay. Uh, in any case, so that's what, so if we have God and his spheres, which, like I say, are the closest thing to him, uh, they would like, so to speak, his arms. And therefore, we have ten fingers, and those are the, represent the spheres, the Yosha. And therefore, just like we interact with the world through our fingers, God interacts with reality through the reality of the spheres. So the spheres, therefore, are the greatest aspect of reality, the closest to the divine, if you want to use that word, right? And they are the most powerful things of all, because a, the spheres actually create things. They bring things into existence, you see. So those are the two fundamental uh, aspects of the Bria, God, of course, and, and the spheres themselves. And I had mentioned that they're two sets. Okay, so that's that. Now, uh, uh, the spheres, however, create everything. They create the malochim. They create the universe, the physical universe, the, because that's what brings everything into existence, as I said. So <coughs> they create... Uh, so the, uh, the the third kind of component, I'm just listing them, uh, is the concept of malochim, as I mentioned. That's Ramchal will talk about that. The class called angelic or angels, malochim. And these are entities or beings that are there, like I said, to do the, the will of God. They carry out His will. Like agents, you know, soldiers, I mean, whatever you want to call it, ministers, diplomats, they do, they do everything, you see. Uh, obviously, what we see here is that God does, not, God does not want to interact by himself into the Bria. What he does is he has angels doing everything. You know, that's, it's literally like a kingdom, if you think about that. That's what a kingdom does. They don't do it themselves. They issue the decree. And the one who implements everything are the Malachim. Same idea as a kingdom. That's why it says the Malchus of the Aro, or rather Malchus of the Rakia. The kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of earth. Just like you have a king, right? And his immediate circle of ministers. You know, you want to call it the cabinet, whatever you want to call it, you know? Uh, the, the cabinet of the, uh, the president, you know, or the uh, whatever. So those would be like the spheres. So the decisions are made by a king and also the cabinet. And then outside of that, you have all the soldiers the ministers, the diplomats, the officials, these are the guys that implement it uh, in terms of the decrees and the uh, uh, rules, regulations of the, the Rebbein God himself. Okay, now there are many, there are ten classes of malochim, of angels, and then there are further subdivisions of that. So you have a lot of different classes of malochim. There are those malochim which are famous, um, they have names, obviously, uh, Michoel, um, Gavriel, Refoel, uh, Uriel, Nuriel. There are many, many different uh, malochim which are well-known, so to speak. And then there are malochim, of course, that we never heard of. Uh, but um, um, so there are, there are many, there are ten classes. Um, and uh, I think the tenth class is called Isham. Isham is man-like, so to speak because they are the lowest form of malach, uh, and uh, this basically is what malachim are.
<coughs> which is a very important concept, so on. <coughs> now, going from the lower rung, you have physical beings, and I mentioned what that is. Uh, all things are physical, including humans, right, uh, in and of itself. And they all have what's called the Nefesh Bahamas. It's also called the Nefesh Tachtoina, the lower soul. And I mentioned before, it's purely physical, uh, it resides in the blood, and it can be detected. Ultimately, they'll probably f figure it out, you know, <clears throat> and, and, and so on. Yeah. When it dies, when it dies, it ceases to exist. When, when physical, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, so Nefesh Tachtoina exits. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, it exits, yeah. So that, the, uh, if you remove the Nefesh Tachtoina, the lower soul from any any being that lives, it will die. Because that's what gives it li it life. Yeah, but does that have to happen with that birth? That nefesh dies, it goes away, or like it, it lives like it's some kind of power or something. Well, uh, it uh, it uh, probably disappears. Dead. Yeah. Dead is dead. Okay. Not just the physical <coughs> bird, the nefesh, the life force is dead also. Is that also, yeah. Well, because that is physical. Yeah. Except it's so subtle, it's of the most, most subtle forms of physicality, you know. And um, that, that, that's also gone. Okay. Then, so that's a, uh, a class of entities, you know. <clears throat> then there's another class of entities, which is called man. And this is true of all men, not just Jews, but non-Jews uh, and so on is that mankind, every, every, any being that's a man has a body, a physical body. He also has what's called the nefesh tachtoina, which I mentioned. That's the life force. But he also has a nefesh elyoina, a spiritual component to his body, which is very important. Uh, that all mankind is spiritual. There are no men that are not spiritual. It doesn't make a difference. There is, however, a tremendous difference between the spirituality of a Jew and the spirituality of a non-Jew, which Ramchal talks about and so on, you know. Uh, whereas all, all mankind does have a spiritual force, entity called the soul, Nefesh el the uppermost soul, okay. Uh, a Jew has a neshama which is much greater than a neshama of a goy uh, and that for specifically the reason for that is uh, I had mentioned that uh, there are realities created by the spheres if you recall right they create all reality and I, I much mentioned previously that there are five realities created the first reality that was created by the spheres is called Ilm Habo, the future world. That is the greatest reality of all. It's we have no concept of what that reality is. It's called Ilm Habo, the future world. Uh, in Kabbalah, it's called primordial man, which called Adam Kadmain, Ak, for short, and so on. So that's the first creation. So what happened is the spheres diminished their output, and as such, they created this Oilam Habo, future world. Then they diminished further, and there's a whole series of chain of events that occurred, and then they created another world, basically, which is called Atsilus, and Atsilus means, I once mentioned this, is a, a reality which is the highest reality of this world. It's not the future world, it is this world, but Atsilus is the highest spiritual level of this type of let's call it the dimension of Ilm Hazir, the dimension of this world, as opposed to the dimension of the future world. Then underneath, after that, it's called the world called Bria, which is creation. And then there's a world called Yitzira, which is a world of formation. And Asiya is a world of uh, action. Because we reside in the world of, As of Asiya. And then Asiya itself has many, many different subdivisions. You see, until you get to the w lowest world, which is called 
of course, Olam HaShofel, which is the law of most world, and that is the universe, which is 13.7 billion light years. So you can imagine what the size of all this is. You see, why do I mention that? Because in many ways, that's what responsible for the difference in the souls between a Jew and a Goy, a non-Jew. A Jew has an Ashamo, he has five parts of his soul. The lowest is called the Nefesh, which is connected to the Asiyah. Then he has what's called a Ruach, which is connected to Yitzira. I'm going up now, not down. Then he has what's called a Neshama, which is an individual term, which is connected to Bria. Then he has uh, uh, the, the Bria, then he has what's called a Chaya. That's, that's the, I'm oh, going up now in sanctity, right? So that's the fourth part. And that is connected to Atsilus. And then he has what's called Yechido. Yechido is the highest level of soul, and it is connected to the future world. Therefore, as a result of that, and by the way, and they're all, it's one entity called the Neshama. Neshama is a collective term, besides the individual term Neshama, which is the third level. And that has five, those are five, and they're all connected to each other, you see. <coughs> okay? So what we have, therefore, the nefesh resides in the liver. I shouldn't say resides, because it's not physical, but it's connected to the organ called the liver. Okay. Yitzira is connected to, uh, that's why the liver has a lot of blood in it, which is interesting, dam, uh, and so on. But anyway, Yitzira is connected to the heart. Again, not connected literally, but it re- it's, it's said to reside to a certain extent or connected to the heart. Then the Shom is connected to the brain. Then the Chaya, which is the fourth uh, section of the Neshama, is not connected to any individual specific place in a man. It surrounds the man. You know, it's, it's like a spiritual aura. It's not the same as the aura that can, you know, people can photograph or whatever, you know. But there is a spiritual aura, which is the fourth part of the soul, and that surrounds the person, you see. And the Yechida is not connected to anything in the man at all, but it, it sort of like hovers over the person, almost like a halo, you see. <clears throat> but it's not connected to anything in the Odom, yet in some way it belongs to the person. Okay, and that yechida, uh, that yechida, which is called unique, yachid, yechida, right? That's connected to Olam Hazer, or uh, as they call in Kabbalah, excuse me, Olam Habo, or as they call in Kabbalah, Adam Kadmon. In any case, <coughs> so therefore, a Jew has all five, because all of his actions, in, any, in many cases, since they're connected, each one is connected to the different realities. If a Jew does, a, does something, whether it be in thinking or speaking or acting, right, then he is able to masakim, alter the different worlds, you see. He has an influence on the different worlds since he's connected to each level of reality, you see. So a Jew has the neshama of five parts, which is connected to all five different realities. As a result of that, like I said, his actions at any of the uh, uh, dimensions that he has, thinking, uh, uh, speaking, or, or doing, uh, he's able to influence the, uh, the different realities. Whereas a guy, okay, he has, a nish- he has a nishama, but that nishama is only at the level of nefesh, <coughs> so he cannot influence any of the upper worlds. He can, however, influence his own muzzle, you see, but he has no influence on any of the spiritual spiritualities, certainly besides this Olam uh, HaShofel, uh, uh, or that's uh, the level of spirituality called the Olam HaShofel. He cannot influence anything above that unless he chooses to become Jewish. So the value of becoming Jewish, obviously, lies in the fact that you can alter all the realities all the way up, you see. <clears throat> Uh, it doesn't mean, of course, but a non-Jew can, uh, can get Olam Habo, you know. But it's never an Olam Habo the way a Jew would be because he has not done anything in the spiritual world, you see. So it's only the Jew who interacts with all the realities, right, created by the spheres. 
and therefore his ability, the illumination that he receives is a whole different class, you see, uh, than, than a non-Jew who cannot influence any of the upper realities. But a guy can get uh, the illumination of the future world through the Jew. That's the way it works, and see. Unless the guy wants to become Jewish. And this is the way it stands now. It wasn't always this way, which I had mentioned. Uh, it used to be that uh, all non-Jews, there was no such thing as a Jew until Avram Avinu. So everybody had this ability to affect all the worlds. It was only after mankind sinned the second time with the uh, Doha Flaga, which is the dispersion of the la uh, mankind by the languages, <coughs> that he lost, or those people lost the connections to the upper worlds. And they were given only a connection to a lower world, so they can still alter. Uh, they can alter this world, but nothing above it. And that's really the difference between the two. Uh, so, that type of being in the Shama uh, uh, was created, wait, was created. Uh, that's another component. And uh, 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 all mankind has that, like I said. All mankind uh, have a spiritual component. The only question is, of course, what type of component? You know, you know how sophisticated is that component? Uh, therefore, a mankind, man, is a unique being. It is a composite of, as I mentioned previously, it is a com man, com man is a composite of a physical being and a completely spiritual entity of which we have no idea of what, of what the nature of that entity is. You know, you can't see it and so on. Yet everybody possesses it. So mankind is a specific being. So, so far I've labeled how many? There's God, there's the spheres, then there's the angels, the physical creatures, and then there's man. Okay, we got four, so far five. So what, what is the going influence through the performance? Got two more to go. Yeah, what? To the performance of the seven no kind laws. And the seven, the laws associated with those, what does the going accomplish? Well, what the seven no kind laws ultimately does is it makes that individual righteous. That's really what it does. I mean, what are the seven no kind laws? You know, it's Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalet, Hei, Vob, Zion. That's the, uh, you know... If, uh, if a non-Jew does... It has no association with his earning on or at least earning a place to reside in where the Jew created? He earns a place in Olam Habo through the Jews. But he doesn't... But he never created any aspect of Olam Habo. See, the Jew creates Olam Habo. He's got the right to live there. What's more than the right to live there, he therefore receives the illumination, right, that he is responsible for. No, I mean, I meant to go. Oh, you meant to go? Fine. Go through the seven nights. So, again. Okay. It gives him the right to be there. To be there, but he can. <clears throat> but since he never created Oilam Habo, because that's really what a Jew does. He creates Oilam Habo, you see, and uh, with, with, through the mitzvahs. Through the mitzvahs. That's how he creates Oilam Habo. A guy, however, never created Oilam Habo. Only the Jews are doing that, you see. Essentially, there's no free choice at all. Who? Of course he does. But How the, else? Do you know, he, why doesn't he create a certain level of Olam Habo through his? Through his because he's not connected to that. His neshama but doesn't he's got, allow. He's got to have the mitzvahs. No, no, those mitzvahs are not the mitzvahs. The Jews, six hundred thirteen mitzvahs, right, enables them to create illumination, to create Olam Habo. The Goy seven mitzvahs doesn't give him the ability to create Olam Habo at all. What it does give him a right is to adhere or connect to a Jew. And through the Jew, he gets Olam Habo. That's why it says in the end of time... Because I'm a place there to reside, but not to create. Yeah. That's why it says that in the end of time, you know, the Goyim will, or the ten Goyim, uh, if I recall correctly, um, will, will, uh, will, uh, will connect to a Jew. A Jew will have those Goyim who are connected to his neshama, they're really a part of a Jewish neshama in that sense, you see. And they will connect to the Jew. And the, the, the illumination, since the Jew created Olam Habo, the illumination comes to him, whatever he created, because that's justice, din. He only gets what he created, what he changed. So he gets the illumination of that change. That's the whole concept of din, justice, right? And then the illumination goes through him and then goes to a guy who is part of his neshama. You see, which is uh, which is really very interesting, so on, you know. Uh, but that's what it is. Unless, so even a, a, ben, a ben Noyach, 
right? He will get Olam Haba through the Jew, you see? Those Gentiles who do not hold from the seven Nehachai laws, right? They don't get anything. What will happen with them is they will come back and get what, because they, and they may have done good deeds, you see? I mean, let's take an atheist. God doesn't believe in God. I mean, look, the judgment of God is extremely complex. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about the judgment of God. But whoever God decides, not me, obviously, but whoever God decides is, that was not a Ben Noyach, right? Whatever that decision is based on, because he wasn't strictly adhering to the seven mitzvahs. And there's seven of them, or whatever. <clears throat> Therefore, he doesn't get Olam Haba at all, you see? Uh, what he will get, God will bring him back, but he can do good deeds. Don't confuse good deeds with the seven Noachite laws. You see? So therefore, let's say a guy, right? He's uh, a nice guy. He does favors for guys. Nice guy. A lot of guys like that, right? But let's say the guy's an atheist. You know? And he doesn't believe in God. Well, one of the, one of the myths is he's got to believe in God. You know what I'm saying? So, of course the good deeds that he's done will be rewarded to him. But not from an Olam Haba standpoint. He won't be in the future world. What he will be rewarded is he's going to come back as an incarnation and become wealthy. You see? So he'll get rewarded. You see? Uh, but we're not, it's not the reward of the future world. That's the difference. And the reward of the future world like I say, you know, if you want to summarize the reward of the future world, it's what's called infinite bliss eternally. That's what it is. You know, you can have bliss not eternally. And that's what everybody else will get if they somehow don't fall under the, the uh, club of called, uh, you know, uh, Noachite laws, right? But he will be rewarded. Nobody, there's not one being that will not be rewarded for the acts that they've done. The question is, where does the reward take place? You see? And there isn't one being, I should say, uh, man, that won't be punished for what he did. You see? Because God is very exact. You know, you did good, you will get good. You did bad, you will get punished, and so on, you know? The question between the guy and the Jew is, where does that take place? Well, actually, the good, you know? So for guy, the good will come back here, you know, and so on, you know? Uh, that's what's going to happen. Uh, what, what about a Jew who's not Shomer Shabbos? What type of Shabbos does he have? Well, look, you know, uh, what, you don't mean Shomer Shabbos. Shabbos. Uh, <coughs> he's got the dinner of God, no? So. Who? Oh, well, that's and the... Not, does that mean he's not a... No, no. Does that mean he's not a good Jew? Or he's just halakhically, we treat him as a guy? Yeah, okay, so that's so different. Who, who that's, a, but how does that translate to his own? Huh? Well... That's that's a good what, question. What type of At, well, obviously it's not the same way that he get if he was a Shem Shabbos. But remember one thing: you have to remember one thing. Uh, when you look at a Jew, if a Jew doesn't observe Shabbos, you know you have to look at his circumstances. Uh, a lot of most people today, Tinik Shenishbo, they know nothing about Judaism. You know, it's everything. A true judgment takes everything into account, right? It takes what he did, why he did it, what his circumstances were. You see, and uh, you know, and so on. Uh, how many warnings was he given? I mean, only God can truly judge anybody, you know. But th there is a difference between a halachic Jew, I should say, a halachic non-Jew, right? That's what you're asking, and a non-Jew. You see, <clears throat> because what God can do is He can take any Jew, and he, uh, you can, God can take any Jew that didn't that di sinned, right? and give him Ilam Haba when he puts him through Gehenna for a long time. You see, God can alter many things. There are many ways to sort of like dress up or fix up a Jew. You see? You know? I, I, I once said like Esav. You think Esav has no Ilam Haba. Yet there's a medrash that clearly says that Esav has Gan Eden. And Gan Eden is nothing more than a stopping point for Ilam Haba. How did God do that? Because for thousands of years he cleaned them up. However he does that, you see? <clears throat> so it, the judgment itself is very complex uh, in terms of how decides, how God decides, will I give Mayil Mahaba or not? But I'm mainly talking about the B'nai Noyach, the difference between a B'nai Noyach and a Jew. So every, the, everybody can get Mayil Mahaba, 
question, the question is where, and the question is through what does he get Olam Haba? But the Ramchal is going to talk really a lot about that in the second Chalik. This is only Chalik region, you see. Um, in any case, um, so the Ramchal uh, says that there's, uh, uh, and I've gone through five different beings. There's God, there's Spheres, uh, there is the Malachim, and then there's the physical being, and there is the Nishamas. You know. Um, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm about to talk about. I see you waiting for that. You know. Well, the fade shade them fit in, you know. Okay. What? Don't judge me for that. It's okay. Shadim uh, are called demons. Right? That's what a demon is called. Uh, a demon is a, um, the English word for shade. Um, well, ju- to describe the shade without going into the function, because he will talk about that when I come back. Um, a, a shade is interesting. You have completely spiritual things. You have the spheres that are spiritual, right? You have the malochim, which are completely spiritual. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then something else which I'll talk about. But, and then there's things which are physical. There's the physical beings, creatures of the world, right? And then man is physical. At least part of him is physical. You know what I'm saying? But a shade is an interesting being that he's spiritual and physical also, you see. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into the function of a shade because a shade's function is to assist evil, you know. But anyway, but the, the main idea uh, is that shadem have certain properties, some of which are physical, like shadem can fly, believe it or not, you know. Shadem also know the future. They can tell, the, they have certain faculties like I say, they can, tell, they can predict the future. They can know the future, actually. Not predict it, you know. They can fly. But also, they die. You know, so they're like half man, half demon. You know, that's what a shade is and so on, you know. Um, so it's really a cross. It has physical properties and it has spiritual properties, you see, in terms of a shade and so on, you know. Uh, the Gemara talks about that shade and so on, you know. And uh, the Ramchal actually has a piece here. He says that there's min echod, there's a certain species that's really a middle ground between spiritual and, and physical. In other words, they are spiritual in sense that they cannot be detected. A shade cannot be detected. Uh, we, they, we cannot perceive a shade, you see. And it's also, right, it can't be, so therefore on that side, it looks like it's spiritual, right? But on, this, uh, on, the, on the other side, it does have certain limitations, like a physical being, you see. And they are not angels, because angels are completely spiritual. There's nothing physical about an angel. And I mentioned, I think, uh, quite a while ago, that in order for an angel to be seen, it has to adapt a costume, which is not part of it, but it can camouflage itself or masquerade itself, whatever word you want to use, in the garb of a human, or uh, you know, and so on. And that's how you, it appears to you. That's how it appears to humans. You see, so it can it can sort of like create an image of itself that looks like a thing, but it's really an image that, uh, you know, that just covers it and so on, you know. Um, and this min is called shady, demon, <coughs> demon-like, you know, uh, demonization and so on. Uh, that's what a shade is. And itself, that itself, there are many different subclasses of shadim, many different types of shadim, and, and so on, you know. Uh, it's interesting that you find in the Gemara that, that there were Tanoim that used Shadim. They were friendly with some of them. I mean, obviously, they were not talking about normal people, they're average people, you know. Obviously, they, they themselves were obviously tremendously spiritual. And they did, um, I forgot what the name of the Tana, but he was going to go to the emperor 
who had issued a decree against the Jews, you know, I forgot which one that was. It was Rabbi Shimon? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so what he did is he encountered one of the shadim who he knew quite well. Interesting. And what he said to the shade was, "Listen, I'm going to this emperor, you know, to and he issued a terrible decree against the Jews, and I want to go to ask him to stop. So do me a favor. I want you to go to his daughter." and possess her. You ever hear that? Possession? It's a well-known topic. Uh, where I want to go and possess her. And of course, he said, okay, fine. And then I'm going to go to the emperor and cure her. Which means I'll tell you to get out of her body. That should be cured. Like this, the emperor will thank me to no end. And of course, hopefully, he will do what I want. That's exactly what happened. That's an interesting story, you know? Where, where the girl became obviously completely possessed by the devil. I mean, the devil in this case is a demon. And he went to the emperor, and of course, uh, he said, I can cure her. And he cured her, of course, by telling the demon, get out. You know, because he's like, you know. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, uh, the emperor listened to him. Uh, so there are Tanoim that were able to, you know, speak to demons and so on. But they would do it in a different, obviously, a way where they can communicate with it. And the demon itself can present itself to them in a form that they would see and so on. But, um, and then of course there's the famous stories of uh, Shlomo HaMelech. There's a demon called Ashmedai. Actually he's the king of them. The king of the demons and there's a whole story about, you know, about how he, uh, um, he deposed Shlomo for a couple of years and he changes, he looked like Shlomo HaMelech. It's a whole story, but Shlomo HaMelech, clearly, I mean, you know, obviously he's one of the greatest of all people, uh, was able to communicate with them and, and talk to them. And uh, there's all Chazal of how he uh, spoke with the king of the demons and so on, you know. Uh, are they, are they it's called a demonic relationship. You know, what was that? Are they hovering in between, in limbo between physical and spiritual? Or are they just no, they're just, they, they just have those two qualities. So how are they different from a person? I mean, obviously they're very well, different from a person, but... Because well, humans have have are, are a composite of, of, of a spiritual and physical. Yeah, but the, the difference is that we have no access to our spirituality. We have it, but we don't have any properties of a spiritual being. So in terms of that composite, until until after you're gone, they have they have. I mean, they're they're also partly spiritual and physical in that sense, and they have manifestation that they those are their attributes. Some are spiritual, some are physical. We have no access to our spiritual beings, aspects, until later on. So we are purely physical now. We are completely dominated by our physical, you see? Even though we, have, we are composites. They are sort of like composites, but they have access to their spiritual aspects. So in terms of the, just the fact, of, that, that, the fact that they are com that of being a composite, people and shadim are... Right. Humans are not unique. There's also shaded. Just yes. In just in terms of that. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. How does it compare to the Dibbuk? Um, <coughs> you know, the, the, the uh, Dibbuk has been, you know, popularized with many stories, you know, and so on, you know. Uh, what a, what a Dibbuk fundamentally is, it's not a demon. Although anyone possessed could be a demon. Uh, you know, it could... A, a demon can possess a person, which is what you see from that story. But what dibbiks tend to be is neshamas that have to wander the earth. That's part of their punishment. You see, uh, you know, you can maybe refer to them as a ghost. What a ghost is basically, it is an individual, you know, <coughs> that cannot leave the planet. So in a certain sense, it is, well, that itself is interesting to think about. Is it the mental, I once spoke about, is it the mental aspects of a person? Uh, or is it the uh, actual uh, person as a spiritual being, you know? But whatever it is, it's a human that cannot leave. It's part of its punishment is that it has to wander on the earth, okay? And occasionally, apparently, it can have access to a human. It can enter a human and take it over. So Dibbiks are look more as uh, wandering souls, you know, you want, uh, if you want to call it a ghost or wandering soul. And there have been many stories, I mean, one story is of the Chofetz Chaim, uh, uh, how, uh, you know, it's called, it's called uh, exorcism. That's what it's called, right? 
how to get rid of these guys and so on you know but apparently there have been many stories like that through the centuries um, I think of uh, Pattaya very, very great in Kubel uh, also uh, exercised uh, one of the Dibbuks, you know. A Dibbuk comes from the word Dovak, the cling, the book, you know, something that clings to you. But it's clearly uh, the concept of possession, where a spiritual entity takes over you. You see, usually it's for the bad, obviously, where he sort of like uh, usurps everything, you know, and uh, of course the person is not normal because he's being possessed by a, uh, uh, you know, one of these wandering shamas. And then the whole question is, how do you exercise him and so on, you know. But uh, there are many famous stories. One of the most famous is the Chafetz Chaim, the story uh, where they asked the Dibbuk, what is the Chafetz Chaim, how is he rated in heaven? You know, so the Chafetz Chaim, uh, the Chafetz Chaim. so they, 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 um, they asked the Dibbuk, who had possessed, I think, a girl, and they asked the, you know, um, uh, what is the? It was the time of the Chavetz Chaim. Uh, what, what's the Chavetz Chaim rated in heaven? So the Dibuk says Kitano. He's as great as a Tano, which is obviously astounding, and so on, you know. But uh, this is the concept of Dibuks. They're not demons, basically. They're wandering souls that cannot leave the earth, because their oynish, their punishment, is to wander. See, that's that's about them, you know. How do they know what's going on in Shemayim if they're not in Shemayim? Who's that? The, the, I mean, the Dibbik. Oh. You're talking about the demon or the Dibbik? The Dibbik, I'm asking about the Dibbik. Oh, oh yeah, uh, because since they're, they're what's called the netherworld, you know, they're not, they, they do have obviously uh, some, uh, since part of them is not human, right? So then they obviously have some access to, shem, to heaven, sp- spiritual matters, you know. So they do have access to that. Look, we don't know what, the, what they really are, what the properties are, you know, and what their nature is and so on, you know. But uh, they do have that aspect. He did know, you know. Any case, so that is what the concept of a demon is. And they have specific functions, which Ramchal will talk about a little later in this chapter and so on, you know. Um, how they who? Because they can die. Because they can also propagate, apparently. Really? Yeah, it's interesting. One of their qualities. I mean, shade, yeah. Yeah, they have the property of propagation. Yeah, they can, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's a good question. That's how they can keep going. They have progeny. You know, it's called the Yichas. Which demon did you come from? Or he's a goddle of the demons, you know, it's like, you know, I can imagine. You know. Anyway. Yeah, so the Ramchal mentions, of course, again, like I said, you know, that do not think that an animal is like, uh, even though um, <clears throat> even though the animal has a uh, nefesh Bahamas, that a human is like that. Because the human, do, although he does have a nefesh Bahamas, which is a animal soul, right? Uh, uh, nefesh Bahamas and so on, right? But a human being is completely different because he has an neshama, which is uh, the concept of a neshama, you should know, is uh, the neshama is not just a spiritual entity, it is a spiritual entity that really is greater than the angels. We're not looking at just another spiritual entity. In terms of dargas, in terms of uh, uh, levels, the neshama entity itself is much greater than a malach, much greater. But a neshama has work to do you know, where it can express that level and so on, you know. So we're talking really that the Shama is the greatest entity after the spheres. It's interesting. So you have the spheres and then you have the Neshama and then you have the Malochim in terms of the, the level, the qualitative distinction between the, uh, the Neshama and a Malach, much greater than a Malach. Except, as we'll see, they're subject to Malochim because the malachim control the physical universe, as we will see. But the neshama, in terms of what it is, its potential, in terms of its status, its state, is much greater than malachim. 
much greater. So what's the difference between a goy and an animal? No, a goy has a spiritual a, a neshama. A, a goy has a neshama. That's the neshama elyona. I mentioned that Every, all mankind has a neshama, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, the goy is not uh, and so on. Of course, the all goyim have neshamas. Oh, but it's still a nefesh. It's not. A it's not because it cannot access the upper worlds. It cannot rectify them. But the, uh, if a guy did not have a neshama elyoyno, if a guy did not have a nefesh, which is a, a spiritual soul, then a guy could not have oilam haba. What allows it to have oilam haba is that it has to be connected in some way to oilam haba at some spiritual level. Yeah, so there is this nefesh elyoyno that they have, that, that they can have... They can... Kill. They got certain meadows that are... No, is that, that affects the meadows in terms of they have good meadows or something like that? Well, it makes them, it, yeah, it affects the... It allows them to be... <coughs> well, they are, look, goyim are spiritual. There are many goyim that are very spiritual. Yeah. You know, animals, you don't find animals spiritual at all. You know? You know, I mean, I'm sure if you ask a lot of pet lovers, they would say, my animal spiritual, you know? And so on, you know? Okay. Um, but, um, no, goyim are spiritual beings, you know? They don't have, like I said... They don't have the power of a Jewish neshama, and therefore their kind of reward and the fact that it comes to a Jew, that's the deal. I mean, they can change it, they become Jewish, you know, and for those, those goyim that become Jewish, they, they have no idea of what they've just switched into. You know, they, are, they have switched into a people that in many ways is the chosen of God, because God chose them, not because Jews chose. Well, actually, it's because Jews called, chose God, therefore God chose them. But God would choose anybody that chooses Him, really, in the end, and so on. Uh, so they, they are certainly uh, spiritual. No question about that. Is there any difference between the nefesh of a ham, the nefesh of Yonah, of a yid, and a goy? Uh, between a what? Any difference between the nefesh of Yonah? A yonah? Nefesh of Yonah, of a Jew and a goy. Yes, I said. The, the Jew has five parts? No, no, no. Just, just that. Oh. Just the nefesh al-yana. Oh, you mean the nefesh, the lowest it's one? The, the, yes. Uh, um, that's a good question. You don't want the lowest part no, of the my, Jews? My question really is, because it seems like, even with your nefesh, is, is the nefesh al of a Jew also contributing to the illumination of the spheros? Yes, sure it is. So, so is that by virtue of the other, <coughs> of the other four, or is it just, does it do something on its own? Even, and the answer to that would be that the nefesh el of a Jew is still much greater than the nefesh el of a goy. And all the goys can do is affect physical and, and mazalos, oh, his own mazalos. Uh, yeah, but, uh, and he needs the nefesh el because right. that's what enables him to get oilam habo. Right. But the, but the nefesh, but all five parts of a Jew is masakin, different levels. So there's no question that it's much greater, you know. But listen, you know, it's like, it's like you get into a club. As long as I got into the club, thank God, you know. So the nefesh elyoyna gets you into what's called the, the, the nefesh club. And that club means you can get oilam habo. You see? So... At least you're in there, you know? Look, there are different levels of membership, right? You can get at the greatest membership, you know, where everything is free, so to speak. Or some things are free, you got to pay for the rest. It's very similar, right? The main thing is to get into the club. Okay, you will deal with the levels of membership, you know? Nefesh is another name of Nisham. Nefesh uh, is, like, specifically... It's the lowest part of the nef of the neshama, yes. But many refer to, to nefesh elyona as the whole neshama. The terms are interchanged, yeah. you know. Okay. So either it's referring to the specific nefesh of the five parts, right? Yeah. Nefesh ruach neshama chayin yechida, or it's you know, or it's referring to the, the individual part, or it refers to the. It's another term for neshama, you know. So what's the ruach? Ruach is the th second part going up. Uh, higher, right? You have the nefesh is the lowest part. The ruach is also, uh, it's, it, like I said, the, the neshama of a Jew has five parts. So the, the ruach is, can I give, can I give the... Uh, uh, Itzira. And where is it? In the body? 
The ruach, no, ruach is connected to the heart. Yeah, and the neshama is the brain. I had mentioned its connections. Not that it's in it, but it, 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 in some way it has a reference to that organ and so on. You know. Where does the satan and the sitrach Well, those are the next creatures, yeah. uh, beings that I, I want to talk about. Except it's, it's late, so I'm going to stop. You know, I'll just resume when I come back. You know, because uh, I have to talk about. Well, then the, the, you have the sitrach, and then you have also and the roots of man it's uh, there's a whole bunch and but it's uh, it's what it unfolds in uh, Perique and so on but you know but I'll cover those topics when I come back from Eretz Israel you know what's, uh, what's in the, resides in the kidneys yeah. well no, none of this resides none in the kidneys no no it's liver heart brain hover uh, you know some kind of literature that Yoyatsois, they give counsel. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah well, apparently there's some type of spiritual force that emanates from the kidneys, you know, that powers certain faculties. You know, that's what it means, you know. Um, but that's, you should know, that's very important because, Kabbalistically, because when you offer a korban, you know, when you offer a uh, sacrifice, an offering on the base of Migdash, on the Mizbeach, you offer certain what's called emurin, you know, certain organs and fats, you know. And the question is, why these? You know what I'm saying? There's the organs, some of the organs, all the organ, you know, and there's fats and so on and so forth. And Kabbalistically, because these organs obviously have some type of influence over the faculties of an animal, and when you offer these things, they sort of like represent you. You know, and so on, and therefore, so it, there's a lot of Kabbalistic concepts in Kachim, in the sacrifices of which organs are offered, which organs are not. You know, that's why Kachim is very Kabbalistic. It doesn't look that way, but it is. You know, which specifically, I, you know, the whole, the one, the main essence of a korban is the zrika, where you have to sprinkle the blood on the uh, on the mizbeach. You know. Why blood? Because blood is seen as the essential component of life. First of all, the nefesh Bahamas resides in the blood and it's physical, you know. And blood anyway, if you ask yourself, blood is that which organizes or connects to every organ in the body, isn't it? It's interesting, right? <clears throat> what connects every single organ, every single tissue in the body, every single cell? Right? It's the blood. That's what does it. So in a certain sense, the blood is the essential connection of everything in you. Every organ, cell, tissue, right, has to be bathed in blood because that's the interchange between the food and the carbon dioxide and all the waste, right? <clears throat> so if you had to pick one sing single thing that would represent the person, it would be the blood because that's really what keeps everything alive. Without that, you're out. And the blood reaches every single aspect of the body. Everything, obviously. Because everything needs to be uh, uh, nutrients and remove the waste and all that. And the blood is that. And the blood must be sprinkled on the mizbeach. That's the most important part of a korban, that the blood has to be zrika on the mizbeach. You see? And so, you know. But kachim is very Kabbalistic in terms of what happens and what's offered, what's not offered, and so on, you know. Any case, you know. Inanimate Great. Objects. Inanimate objects. Yes. What about them? Do they have some sort of something? Uh, well, every inanimate object has some type of a force that maintains its existence. It doesn't have a life force. You know, <clears throat> a tree has a life force. You see, but the what? Well, yeah, a tree, a tree has a life force, or else how could a tree? A tree is a living thing. Obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, or how could it grow? It's a living thing. You know, we don't. It doesn't look living because you don't talk. Although there are people that talk to their plants, so they obviously consider it living. But uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting ideas about that. Is a plant? Uh, can a plant? Well, that's already different. That's a concept called sentient. You know, they are living beings. 
right? And then there are sentient beings. A sentient being are, are, are beings that have senses, you know? They can sense outside experiences, you know, uh, and so on. But clearly trees are living, bacteria are living. These, all of these have tremendous amount, they all have this living force. But the, like I said, there's a tremendous qualitative difference obviously between a living force in a bacteria and a living thing in an animal or certainly a, a man mankind you know and that determines the life and also determines the quality of being but that is not the shama remember shama is completely separate uh, as an entity uh, of what it is and uh, look the shama is that which connects you to god it's really what it is in that sense, you know. It is that which is the godlike or divine aspect of a human. You see? And it connects you to God. You see, that's in many ways what it is, you know. I mean what it really is we don't really know. We don't know the identity of the Nishama. Yeah. Yes. No. No, 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 no. Ain't Soif Ain Soif is a description of some level of manifestation of God. Adam Kadmoin is a reality in which God is revealed at an incredible level. There's a difference between a reality, right, a situation, and God in that situation. So is the Adam Kadmoin then after Adam Kadmoin going down? Going down. Then goes that sequence. Yes. There are intermediate ideas. There's Adam Kadmain, and then there's something else. The different, what's called realities, which are pre-realities, Tatsilos. Ah, so that's what really Adam is. Yeah, they're called Adam Nekudim and Brudim and Akudim. They are different. Well, that way. Yitzira. Oh, that was Nevoa. Yes. A Novi could look into Atsilas. The only being in Atsilas is God. There is no other being in Atsilas. Malachim first begin in, in, uh, in uh, Bria. There, the only thing in, God, in Atsilas is God. And Nevoa is, is where uh, an individual, after having done the right things, can communicate directly with uh, God in Atsilas. And, what, and that's some level of insight and comprehension that we have no idea what and that Moshe is. Moshe Rabbeinu was... Moshe Rabbeinu... Into also. You can't mm -hmm. go into Atsilas. You, you can't talk to God as if you're in Atsilas. <coughs> but you can't stand right up against the boundary, which is a different level of insight and perception. It's not a matter of standing up against the, you know. But the closer you are to Atsilas, the greater is the ability to masig, to comprehend God. God appears to you differently, so to speak, when you're right up against Atsilas, as if you're really far away at the other end of Atsilas, of, 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 of Bria. You but see? Adam Kadma is beyond Atsilas. Yeah. Yeah. That's Adam Habo. In other words, God, the greatest level of God, that we can possibly understand is the way God will reveal himself in in Olam uh, Habo. See, so Olam Kadmon refers to a, a reality and what is the, what is, what's the perception or the comprehension of God or the revelation of God in that reality? You see? And that really defines that reality, by the way. You see? So, okay, I hope uh, that... Uh, you get a, somehow of a, a grasp of, of some of these ideas, you know?